This podcast is brought to you by Audible. You can now get two free audiobook downloads and a 30-day free trial at audible.bogosity.tv. Your choice from the world's largest selection of over 180,000 digital audiobooks and spoken word content for your iOS or Android device, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audible.bogosity.tv now. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of February 19th, 2017. The podcast that cooks cheese on bacon. That actually sounds delicious. <laughs> this is your host, Shane Killian, and returning this week is Chris Hangartner. Welcome back, Chris. Hello. Let's ratiocinate the news of the bogus. I would say that this first story is another nail in the DMCA's coffin, except there are so many nails the coffin fell apart long ago. <laughs> yeah. I'd... Well, just in case you need one more, Malibu Media is an adult entertainment company behind the X-Art brand who is notorious for going against thousands of alleged pirates raking in millions. Now, they're suing an unnamed internet subscriber designated as John Doe, who actually decided to put up a defense. His lawyer filed a motion for summary judgment pointing out flaws in the complaint that include both problems with the evidence and problems with damages. The report was created by Brandley Whitman, former Senior Director of Product Management at BitTorrent Inc. He knows about torrent tracking, and he knows about the problems inherent in trying to use it to identify pirates. I can't believe they're still going for that. One of the big problems is that they were only looking at 16 kilobytes from the addresses meaning that they can't even prove that these netizens have a full copy of the infringing work. They can't even do a hash to verify the contents of the file. Uh, yeah, yeah. Other problems include human error when they enter information, a lack of chain of custody, whether the user's IP address changed, resulting in them fingering the wrong person, which user on that IP's network it was, whether a hacker could have obtained access to the Wi-Fi, whether the user's computer was compromised, and the fact that their system hasn't even been audited. Well, the thing with copyright laws is that they make it so vague where you could just look at the thing and automatically you're copyright infringing. Yeah, but you still gotta prove it because, like in two cases, the transfer time was zero, meaning that it's impossible for the person to have gotten any of the data, and they also claimed that the system has, quote, zero bugs when just one of the components has over 431 bugs, 65 of which remain unresolved. Oh, goody. So now not only are they abusing copyright laws, they don't even have good proper security. Mm -hmm. Why am I not surprised? And probably the most ridiculous was their file name search, which led to a search for Romp at the Ranch, matching with the file kh4k52qr.125.mp4. Ooh, sounds sexy. <laughs> Yeah, romp at the ranch. I can totally see how. How do they even map? Yeah, I know. Computer coding's so weird sometimes. And that's just the beginning. Many of the files differed from the ones given to the copyright office. The videos themselves don't display a proper copyright notice, and none of the files had DRM. Hey, hey. According to Doe's lawyer, quote, The only conclusion one can draw is that Malibu does not operate like a normal studio, make films and charge for them. Instead, Malibu makes a large chunk of its money using unreliable BitTorrent monitoring software, which only collects a de minimis amount of data. 
They cleverly exploit the fact that most people will settle for 5 to 10K when sued, despite the fact that the system used to capture their IP address is neither robust nor valid. Uh, I don't know what to do. This is just so stupid. Thanks a lot, Malibu. You did something so stupid and common that I don't even have a comment for it. I'm not even finished yet. Uh, No infringing files were found on Doe's computer. Malibu Media accused Doe of destroying evidence, but since they had no evidence of that, Magistrate Judge Geraldine Soap Brown dismissed the lawsuit. She ruled, quote, An IP address discloses the location of the internet line used for the transaction, but it does not identify the individual person who engaged in the transaction. There is no evidence linking Doe or even his IP address to Malibu's works. You know, this kind of reminds me of this funny political cartoon I once saw that was making fun of the Iraq war where a guy comes in and says, okay, Mr. CIA director, we have thoroughly investigated Iraq and we have found no weapons of mass destruction. And the CIA guy replies, aha, that's because they destroyed them all to hide the evidence before we got there. Yeah, I think that was something they actually said. Yeah. Actually, it is true that they destroyed it because they destroyed it when they were supposed to, when they had been ordered by the UN. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a hilarious. And we know that from the first round of inspections in the late 90s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why did you destroy that stuff? Because you told me to. That's not an excuse. <laughs> Jesus, no wonder all these countries hate us. You know, we put all these rules, and when they follow the rules, we're breaking another one. Say, if you're tired of the promos in this podcast, well, the patrons got it early and with no ads or promos. Just go to patreon.bogosity.tv and donate at any level. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins, and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary-aged children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. All right, I'll survey the listeners. Who likes going through international border checkpoints? Raise your hand. Hmm, I don't see any hands. You see any hands, Chris? No. Uh, uh, I, I I guess no one, because no, no, I didn't see any hands up. And who can blame them? It's frustrating security theater of dubious safety, but that doesn't stop it from being ridiculous or even dangerous. Case in point, Sid Bakanovar, an employee at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, was coming back to the U.S. from Patagonia when he was detained by U.S. Customs and Border Patrol and pressured to give up the pin that unlocked his phone. The problem is, it was the phone issued to him by NASA, and they didn't have clearance to see the data that was on it. Oh, boy. But Conovar was escorted by CBP to a back room and told to wait 40 minutes later, according to Bacanovar, quote, 
He takes me into an interview room and sort of explains that I'm entering the country and they need to search my possessions to make sure I'm not bringing in anything dangerous. I asked the question, why was I chosen? And he wouldn't tell me. Well, it's just like Franz Kafka's The Trial. You know, they're putting you under arrest. Oh, well, what am I under arrest for? Uh, we're not obliged to tell you that. And they insisted they had the authority to search his phone. For the record, they don't. No traveler is legally required to unlock their devices at the border. And even after he explained it was NASA property and he showed them the JPL barcode on the back, quote, I was cautiously telling him I wasn't allowed to give it out because I didn't want to seem like I was not cooperating. I told him I'm not really allowed to give the passcode. I have to protect access. But he insisted they had the authority to search it. It was not that they were concerned with me bringing something dangerous then, because they didn't even touch the bags. <laughs> they had no way of knowing I could have had something in there. You can say, okay, well, maybe it's about making sure I'm not a dangerous person, but they have all the information to verify that. Because he had actually signed up and gone through all the clearances and everything to go through um, whatever that express lane thing is called. According to Hassan Shilby of CARE, that's the Council on American-Islamic Relations, in Florida, quote, In each incident that I've seen, the subjects have been shown a blue paper that says CBP has legal authority to search phones at the border, which gives them the impression that they're obligated to unlock the phone, which isn't true. They're not obligated to unlock the phone. Well, this is a government agency. There's a policy in their thing that says they can make up the rules as they go along. Yeah, it's Catch-22. Yeah, Catch-22 says we can do this. Well, can I see the law? Well, the law prohibits me from showing you Catch-22. Which law prevents it? Catch-22. <laughs> yeah. Or to make it better, read Franz Kafka's The Trial. Yeah. Good book. Sadly, he died before he could finish it. Yeah, I think it was just Chapter 8 that was unfinished, though. Yeah, that guy really works hard. I mean, he, you know, a little off topic, but he completed most of his stories within only a handful of weeks because he was diagnosed with a severe case of strep throat, and he literally couldn't eat or breathe, so he knew he was dying, so he literally spent his final weeks just writing down everything. Yeah, they all had to be published posthumously. Yeah. Now, they still prevented Bakanovar from leaving until he unlocked the phone, and I think that might be kind of a loophole. They can't make you unlock the phone, but they can detain you. And so I guess they can say, okay, we'll detain you until you unlock the phone. And that blue paper she'll be mentioned says there are consequences for failing to do so. Quote, I didn't really want to explore all those consequences. It mentioned detention and seizure. So he caved. The officer left with the unlocked phone and didn't return for half an hour. Bakanovar has no idea what was accessed and if any of it was sensitive information. Oh, yeah, and that's going to be another catch-22. You know, he gets charged for not cooperating with border officer, and then when he gets back, he's going to get arrested for leaking sensitive information, even though he had no idea what it was. Well, actually, thankfully, that isn't what happened. When he got back to JPL, he immediately gave them the phone and told them what happened. They weren't happy, but they knew it wasn't his fault. They issued him a new device and a new phone number. So yeah. I am going to throw brickbats to The Verge for repeatedly mentioning Trump's travel restrictions, implying that this was at play here when this had absolutely nothing to do with Trump. I like how one person pointed out, you know, when people were like, oh, but Trump's banning people from these certain countries. Well, technically, it's not a ban. It's just a temporary, you know. It's a travel restriction. Yeah, it's a travel restriction, but the list of countries that Trump had on that, he did not pick them. Obama picked them. Now, Bakanovar is a natural-born U.S. citizen, and like I said, he went through all the background checks to give him the expedited entry, and he didn't even visit any of the countries listed in the immigration ban, and he's a federal employee. 
Was he Muslim, though? He's Indian. Oh, yeah, so he's not even a threat because Hindus don't believe in violence. Well, and you'd have to kick out, like, half of Silicon Valley or something. <laughs> yeah. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age, so go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world, and they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. Well, domestic flying with the TSA isn't so hot either. Several months ago, we looked at and laughed at their behavioral detection methods, which basically said that any oddballs should be suspected as terrorists, especially autistics. Oh, yeah. It really, really grinds my gears when people say, well, he's got to be guilty because he's not showing proper emotions. and I'm He won't make eye contact. Yeah, and I'm like, uh, some people legitimately can't do that. And they say, well, well, they don't feel emotions. No, they feel the emotions. They just don't express it the same way everyone else does. Yeah, that's a big pet peeve of mine. Contrary to popular belief, autistic people do feel empathy. They do feel emotions. They just don't really show them as well. Well, now, thanks to the ACLU, enough documents have been released through FOIA, so we know how well this program works. It doesn't. It's less than worthless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's really funny because a lot of people always think that the government has the top experts and then you see what the TSA does, you know. <laughs> I hate that in popular fiction, you know, where like it shows a private company and like everything's worthless and the government comes in and everything's all better. I'm like, no. Government can't even run a snack bar and make a profit. <laughs> yeah. Government can't run a whorehouse at a profit. Yeah. Did you hear about that one like a few years ago? They took over some whorehouse in Nevada or somewhere and oh. drove it under <laughs> Because here's the thing, the reason why a private company has to do their best they can is because if they don't, they go out of business. Government doesn't go out of business. That's why the TSA and the public schools and all the other stuff, that's why they behave the way they do is because there's no accountability. Nobody gets fired. Nobody goes out of business. It's just, oh, well. Well, it's the opposite because if you're a failing school, you go to the government and say, hey, we need more money, and they give you more money, that's incentivizing failure. Would you want to go back to a restaurant that served you a crappy meal? No. The ACLU's report says, quote, The documents show the evolution of the behavior detection program and make clear the extent to which it is a program of surveillance of unsuspecting travelers based on unreliable indicators. The reliability of these so-called indicators is not supported by the scientific studies in the TSA file, so not even the ones that the TSA pointed to supported them. Their whole detection thing is stupid because, and it's been proven time and time again, you cannot predict a person's actions solely on their behavior alone. Yeah. 
The TSA has repeatedly claimed that the behavior detection program is grounded in valid science, but the records that the ACLU obtained show that the TSA has in its possession a significant body of research that contradicts those claims. The records include numerous academic studies and articles that directly undermine the premise of the program. The notion that TSA officers can identify threats to aviation security with some reliability based on specific behaviors in an airport setting. In fact, the scientific literature in the TSA's own files reinforces that deception detection is inherently unreliable and that many of the behaviors the TSA is apparently relying on are actually useless in detecting deception. The documents further show that the TSA either overstated the scientific validity of behavior detection techniques in communications with members of Congress and government auditors or did not disclose information that discredited the program's scientific validity. Oh, yeah. It's like when the state, you know, wants something and they need to prove it scientifically. They just shop around until they can find a science that'll say what they want to say. And even then, it's not even valid. It's just, well, we don't have evidence that proves it doesn't do this, you know, so it's basically absence of evidence. And we've been proven time and time again that's not good enough. So for an example, check out indicators that someone may be a female suicide bomber. Single or married, mothers or grandmothers, high school and college students, working professionals such as lawyers, journalists, or medical practitioners, devout or non-devout in religious beliefs, intelligent, charming, and attractive, and very active in their cause. In other words, basically every woman ever. Everyone in the state of Utah. Yeah. <laughs> and half of Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's the thing. They're so vague, you know. Yeah. And the rest of them are like that. I mean, the net is so wide, it's easy for agents just to fall back on their own biases, even, you know, doing it unconsciously, which explains the large number of non-whites that are randomly selected for screening. And the TSA spends billions of dollars on this program. Nothing in it makes it safer to travel. All it's done is make the experience even more frustrating. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the Internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the Internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your Internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. And now it's time to prorogate this week's Biggest Bogan Emitter. And this week it goes to CBS 11 in Dallas-Fort Worth for the misleading clickbait headline, Study, ID Fraud Up Since Security Chips Put Into Play. 
Yeah, it's post hoc ergo propter hoc. What they're talking about, of course, is those chips on credit cards that we all should have by now. And they were supposed to make us much safer, but apparently all they did was make things worse. Credit card and identity theft is actually up since the chips were introduced. Except that's not entirely accurate. Oh, a major news company posted an article and it turned out it was flawed? Oh, haven't heard that story before. Well, the article is actually pretty good. It's just the headline that's bad. According to the study in question, it is up, but the culprit doesn't really have anything to do with the chips, but how much more e-commerce we're doing online where the chips aren't a factor. And it, it's also part of a rise that's been going on for a good many years now, and it might even be the case that the ones who were trying to hack the Magstripe got fed up with the chips and just started doing it online, so now more of them are just doing it online because that's easier pickings. Now, I have criticized the new chips. I think I've done it on this podcast, in fact. But they are safer than the magnetic stripes we were using before. So, yeah, this is just sensationalism and clickbaiting. If you just get the information in the mag stripe, then you can go and use it wherever. But the chips, it isn't just storage. It's a processor. They have to do some mathy stuff on it to get it to work, so you can't just read it like you can a Magstripe. So identity fraud is up despite the new chip cards, but you wouldn't know that unless you read pretty deeply into the story. So it's not really the card's fault, it's just that people aren't using the cards and... Well, it's that people are using the cards online where the chip isn't at play, and that's still vulnerable. Oh, yeah. So I'm giving this to CBS 11, not the story's author, Brooke Rogers, who almost certainly didn't write the headline, but I do have to throw one brick bat at Rogers, though. She wrote, quote, A study released this week from Javelin Strategy and Research found that identity fraud cases rose 16% in 2016, which equates to 15.4 million new victims, a record high with record high in italics. But when you have something that's constantly increasing, it's always a record high. My age is now at a record high. <laughs> yeah. The number of podcast episodes we have is at a record high. Yep. But there is a valid point to be made about the new chips. According to Lane Connor, founder and CEO of Fuse, a credit card processor, quote, the real security was supposed to be the pin and actually putting your pin in when you actually dip the card. A bad guy could just as easily steal your wallet, go and dip a credit card into a machine and sign for it like they're you, as you could swiping a card. That's the big complaint I had as well. If someone steals your card, they can use it. But... They have to steal it first. They can't just swipe it online or get its data from the point-of-sale machine, so it's more difficult, but they really should have required the pin. Well, yeah. And even in Europe, where they did require the pin, I think we talked about this, they did it wrong. Instead of baking the pin into the crypto, they just made it a simple yes-no verification. Hackers figured out how to get around it with just a tiny little circuit on a piece of transparent tape, and you just stick the tape over the chip so it always answers yes... And I mean, it's just so infuriating because going through all this, changing over the cards, they really had a chance to get it right, and they blew it. What's it going to take for companies to realize that they need to get their foot in the door? What, do hackers need to shut down the internet before where companies realize, yeah, I think we need to take, you know, our security leaks seriously? Yeah, I think you really need to start putting the liability on the people who are in the best position to stop that kind of hanging in the first place. It's actually been shown that a lot of these decisions for security are often by these higher-up guys who don't even really use the product, and they don't know what's going on, and yet they're deciding, and yet they know what's better, that's true, rather than you do. Well, and banks, you know how much they lobby 
you know, all of the Congress and the states and everything. And I mean, is there anything that's more important online to protect than our banking? And yet they do such a horrible job of it. People who are just writing like WordPress or whatever are doing a better job securing their users than banks are. And again, it also doesn't help that that every time a brand new security software comes in, the government's going to say, yeah, but we still want a backdoor so we can investigate it just in case. You might as well be handing the burglar the key to your house. So anyway, the reason why this is increasing is because of e-commerce, not the chips, which makes their headline misleading, fear-mongering clickbait, and it's for that reason that CBS 11 gets named this week's biggest bogan emitter. Bogosity.tv gives you great ways to shop at Amazon. Clear your cookies and go to Amazon.Bogosity.tv and you won't pay a penny more for your purchase. Or go to Prime.Bogosity.tv for a 30-day free trial of Amazon Prime and enjoy thousands of movies and TV episodes, borrow Kindle books, and get unlimited two-day shipping for free. And speaking of Kindle, go to Kindle.Bogosity.tv for a 30-day free trial to Kindle Unlimited. Read over 1 million books and listen to thousands of audiobooks on any device. Or go to home.bogosity.tv to try Amazon Home Services. Over a thousand different services from quality hand-picked pros, from house cleaning to equipment and furniture assembly, plumbing, electrical, painting, and other handyman services, all backed by Amazon's happiness guarantee. And as always, check the right-hand side of the podcast page for special Amazon deals. And now it's time to compartmentalize this week's Idiot Extraordinary. And anyone who saw Shane's video knows who it is. <laughs> yeah, this week Robert Reich, two-time recipient of Biggest Bogan Emitter, takes Idiot Extraordinaire for his comments about the riots in front of a Milo Yiannopoulos talk at UC Berkeley where Reich is a professor of public policy. And FYI... Seriously, Reich family, you couldn't change your last name or modify the spelling? <laughs> yeah, like in 1946 in Berlin, all of the Hitlers disappeared from the phone book. Yeah. Because they all changed their names. The the ironic thing is, I don't think Hitler was actually his real name. Yeah. I think he took that name on. I don't, I don't remember the details. But. but anyway, no matter what, you have to acknowledge that the violence of the left in the wake of Trump's election is a serious issue. Well, unless you're Reich, that is. <laughs> he thinks the riots are really headed by Yiannopoulos, whom he calls Milos, not Milo, to discredit the left. Yes, it's all a conspiracy. And your evidence is... Well, here's what Reich says, quote, 150 masked agitators threw Molotov cocktails, smashed windows where Yiannopoulos was scheduled to speak, and threw rocks and fireworks at the police, delivering made-for-TV images of a riot. Well, yeah, that is what they were doing, except one problem, Reich, they weren't infiltrators. They were Berkeley students who don't know how to lose. Quote, Thursday night, Yiannopoulos had a friendly interview on Fox News' Tucker Carlson Tonight, a show that, according to the Washington Post, has ridden anger at left-wing activism into best-in-class primetime ratings. The conversation focused on how Berkeley proved the point that the left was ceding its right to federal grants by cracking down on free speech. 
which raises the possibility that Yiannopoulos and Breitbart were in cahoots with the agitators in order to lay the groundwork for a Trump crackdown on universities and their federal funding. Look, moron, the rioters, regardless of whether they were led by Milo or not, did not have anything to do with the censorship he and other conservative and libertarian speakers have been experiencing on college campuses these past few years. It's reaching the point now where if you say that you supported Trump or whatnot and someone beats you up, the guy who said I supported Trump is getting in trouble. If you take taxpayer funds, you cannot discriminate on the basis of the political message. You have to allow all political messages or none at all, and I don't think none at all is going to work on a university campus because you have to discuss this stuff. Yep. The moment you start working with the government, you forfeit every right you have as a private business because now you're government entity. Now, yeah, if Berkeley was 100% private, they have every right to tell Milo, no, we don't want you right-wingers on our campus. We'd criticize them, but they'd have every right to do so. But Berkeley is getting a lot of money from the government to the point where it's practically a government agency in its own right that they can't do that kind of stuff. But the private universities have actually been a lot better about it. Yeah. Oh, but we need government to protect our rights. Yeah. Our government is so obsessed with being PC that... That there's been incidences where people have been writing or disrupting, you know, speeches and the cops are sitting there and they're not doing anything and they later admit it's because we're not allowed to do anything. Nope, we got a call from the city council. You can't intervene. You got to let those people disrupt Milo Yiannopoulos. It's like, oh, but they're taking away his mic and all that. Nope, you got to let him do it. So here's Reich's chain of logic, if I can use the phrase loosely. They don't have logic. <laughs> <laughs> Only fifis. Yeah. Yiannopoulos writes for Breitbart. Steve Bannon used to run Breitbart. Bannon now works for Trump. Yiannopoulos was going to speak at Berkeley about withdrawing federal grants when they censor political speakers. The riots happen. Campus police shut down the talk before Milo makes his speech about federal funds, and that helps the conspiracy how. Because, <laughs> I mean, if it's before, it doesn't matter what he was talking about, right? Because the Illuminati, they're behind it. Trump tweets a threat to withhold federal funds. Yiannopoulos goes on Fox News to say this proves universities don't deserve federal grants. And then, when Reich goes on CNN to claim that Yiannopoulos was really behind the riots, Breitbart calls him on it. Yeah, I can't think of any other reason why all that might have happened. According to Breitbart Editor-in-Chief Alexander Marlowe, quote, Reich has further endangered Breitbart News employees and emboldened those who seek to destroy our right to freedom of speech. His peers should call on him to provide evidence to support his attack or retract it and apologize. If not, perhaps his status as a scholar and academician should be seriously reconsidered. Yeah, I know. I was researching this guy, and apparently he was like a professor of economics and all that. And after seeing the video you said, I'm just thinking, who the hell made this guy a professor of economics? He's not. He's a professor of public policy. Oh, yeah. But he teaches economics. And that's actually a thing I actually later learned anyway, because there's a lot of leftists nowadays that said, oh, but I had an economics professor that said, you know, wealth distribution works. And then you later do your research and it turns out the professor doesn't have training as an economist. Well, neither did Keynes. Oh, yeah. Neither did Marx. Meanwhile, the actual rioters, many of which were students, told a different story. According to one, quote, it's not violence. It's self-defense. Peaceful protests are beautiful, but at the same time we should not condemn the destruction of private property. We will not allow Yiannopoulos' rhetoric and his speech to hurt marginalized communities on campus. They can be hurt with speech, Chris. Uh, They're that fragile. And it's pretty funny. They don't condone the destruction of private property, 
but they don't condemn the destruction of private property. They don't. He con- said condemn. Yeah, and it's and it's also ironic because they're destroying stuff that has nothing to do with Milo Yiannopoulos. You taking away a microphone from another guy is not a form of speech. That's a use of force. So others supported the violence, like student Josh Hardman, who wrote, "Quote." The principle of free speech should not be extended to envelop freedom of hate speech for the unchecked normalization of hate speech will have real consequences. Or alumna Nisa Dong, who wrote, quote, To people with platforms who decide when a protest should and should not be violent, you speak from a place of immense privilege. Yeah, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, all that privilege they had. Asking people to maintain peaceful dialogue with those who legitimately do not think their lives matter is a violent act. So I guess what? Does Reich think that these guys are just Milo's sock puppets? Do people who have, like, SJW mentalities, do they have paranoid schizophrenia? Because, I mean, seriously, you know, that one girl who thought that a cover for a lab equipment was a Ku Klux Klan member or Silver Silverman thought that markings on a, that construction markings were a swastika. It really makes me wonder, do these people have paranoid schizophrenia? Oh, there was an Indian store owner that I forget where this was. It was near one university campus and the students basically rioted and ran him out because he had a swastika. But the swastika was the one that was upright and had those curly spots on the end and the dots like the Hindu Hindu swastika. Yeah. 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 People fail to realize the swastika is not a Nazi symbol. Almost every single country and culture has had it. And it's not because everyone was secretly a Nazi. When you actually think about it, it's actually very simple. The swastika is not a difficult shape to make. Well, and it also represents something like you've got north, south, east, and west. You've got its surroundings, and then you you make one opening in each wall. And it, a- it's, about, it's about being open to everything from all directions and stuff like that. Hitler actually designed the flag with very specific principles, and here's something interesting. Now, red, the color red represents socialism, the white represents nationalism, but you know what the swastika meant? It didn't mean white supremacy, it meant unionization of all Germanic-speaking people. Yeah. Why did they rotate at 45 degrees? I never figured that one out. I don't know. Probably because a lot of countries, including Finland, had it, and I guess he wanted it to stand out. Also, brickbats to leftists who think that violent writing against innocent people in businesses is defense against people who say things you don't like, but who don't think people should be able to have guns to defend themselves from violent criminals. And that's also more hypocrisy. Oh, I can't own a gun, but it's perfectly okay to throw a brick or a Molotov cocktail at a person. Yeah, because that's totally not going to hurt them. So all of that makes Robert Reich this week's Idiot up this why are you giving me the secret signal to shut up edition of the bogosity podcast come join the discussion at forum.bogosity.tv and feel free to send a question statement news article or rant in text or audio to podcast at bogosity.tv this podcast depends on you to keep going so please donate using the links on the website or the qr codes in the thumbnail or become a patron at patreon.bogosity.tv and get the podcast and youtube videos early and without ads or promos Thank you for listening, and thanks to Chris Hangardner for joining me. Oh, yeah, it's, it's really fun being here. Until next time, here's a quote from Christopher Hitchens. Beware of identity politics. I'll rephrase that. Have nothing to do with identity politics. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial and Derivatives 4.0 International License.
curiosity. Want answers to creationist claims against evolution? Would you like to know more about evolution yourself, or even engage creationists more directly, with actual peer-reviewed sources to back you up? My book, How Evolution is Scientific, is designed to show the basics of evolutionary theory and how it is so well supported using the scientific method. It's impeccably sourced, with references to the actual scientific material, and is arranged using the creationists' own criteria of what is scientific. Using their own arguments against them, see how evolution is scientific, but creationism is not. Based on observations, accurate predictions, logic, and evidence. Get answers to common creationist claims, and even a primer on abiogenesis, the start of all life. It's all in my book, How Evolution is Scientific, available at Amazon, and on Kindle, EPUB, and PDF as well. Get How Evolution is Scientific and never be taken in by creationists again.